part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You'd open your Bibles to John chapter 3 this morning. Every year we try to have a vision verse, a kind of a thought, a theme uh, that kind of guides us. It's not that we, for 52 weeks, kind of stay on that one passage or only talk about that one theme, but it kind of just gives us a, a parameter to kind of focus on. And a couple of years ago, it was about to, to be family-focused and to be Christ-centered. We just okay, we really want to be that church that is family-focused and Christ-centered. Uh, last year, we looked at Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, and we kind of had this mindset that we're running this race, and that the race is hard at times, we feel like giving up at times, but by God's grace and by the endurance that he gives us, that we can continue to run this race, even after times that we've had defeat in our life, even when there's been times of failure in our life, that because of God's grace and because of the provision of Christ, that we can continue to run this race and to keep our eyes on that prize. Well, as I pondered this, uh, you know, what to have for this year, uh, look at a lot of different things. And, you know, one way the Bible is so full of truth, guys, it is complete truth, that please don't think that this is sacrilegious in any way. But in a way, you could take the Bible, you could get a dart, and like the old dartboard theory, you can just kind of throw it, and it could land somewhere, and it's going to land on truth. Why? Because it landed on the Word of God. But at the same time, you could get one of those verses, if you just took that philosophy, you could land right there and Jesus wept. And so for our, you know, 2018 vision, that could be Jesus wept, or it could be some other verse that is truth, but you're going, okay, how does that really apply to my life? And so as I kind of wrestled with those things, this verse, John 3:30, kept on coming back. And as much as I told you before that I really don't like bumper sticker theology, I don't like us to take deep, deep riches and treasures of truth and kind of just sum them up in just a couple, couple of words that we don't know all the treasures of that. These seven words, though, if you're ever going to have a bumper sticker that really could just reflect some power, it is these seven words. And this morning we're going to look at the background of those words. What are the seven words? Well, the words of John the Baptist, not John who's writing this gospel, but John the Baptist. There's two different Johns. John, one John is writing the gospel of John. The other John is John the Baptist. And in John the Baptist, he says these words, He, that is Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. Now, how many of y'all have heard that before in some form or fashion? Okay, most of us are somewhat familiar with that. You're probably even familiar with kind of the tone of that, what that means. I mean, you really don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to say, okay, basically, if, he's t- if the he is Christ, then he needs more of Christ and he needs less of himself. And so one way, it's, it's pretty simple, it's pretty forward. We don't have to be really a scholar to get all that. And yet, I want to take us through John chapter 3 this morning so that we know the context of that. Because I believe that as we see the full context of that, it will help you color in even that much more beyond just these seven words, the power of these seven words. And here's my hope. I'm going to tell you right up front my, what my hope is. That as we would end today, that you would begin to ask yourself this question. What would it look like in 2018 for me to decrease. Fill in your name there. What would it look like? He must increase, but Bobby must decrease. See, in one way, we could all probably generically say that this is a very good thing and a very good, you know, kind of thought for us to have and, a, and kind of a direction for us to go in 2018. But I promise you, 
it's personal for each one. Because for me to decrease means I may have to give up this, this, or this. And it's not just a giving up, but it's a getting rid of an attitude. could be a sin. It could be anything that I would treasure and that would compete in my life that keeps me from truly just embracing the fullness of Christ in my life. So in one way, it's kind of a general thing kind of a general vision that we would have as a church, but I promise you that if we take it seriously, it will take on a complexity and a personality that's all very individual. That's exciting for me. That God's word could lead us collectively together, but also individually together. Collectively as a family together, but then individually between each member of that family. The power of God does that. It's kind of how God is. We read about Israel the people of God. We read about the church in the New Testament, the people of God. And yet, when he deals with people, he deals with them individually. And we have an individual relationship. In other words, folks, we get the best of both worlds. We have this community around us, a community of faith, and yet we still have this personal relationship with Christ. John chapter 3. Seven words that really kind of portray a mindset an attitude, seven words that, detra- that describe a vision that John had for his life, seven words that targeted a, a way to live, a very purposeful way to live. And uh, this morning I want to make sure that we kind of understand that context, that we see the fullness of how that would apply to our lives. These were spoken at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We don't have a full calendar of Jesus' ministry. We don't have a three-year calendar that said, okay, on the third month and the fifth day, he did this. But there's a lot of times that we can look at the reflection of the gospel and we can kind of say, okay, here's where it lines up. This would have been toward the beginning of the ministry of Christ. He has proclaimed at this point his ministry. He has called disciples. He's called 12 men to go and stay with him during this ministry of three years. He's in that process of telling people more and more about this gospel, teaching them what it means to follow him and follow the Father. And as he does this, he's baptizing people. Now, baptism to us is a sign of uh, a symbol of something that we do. When we baptize somebody, they've come to know and trust Jesus Christ, the work of Christ, and then they get baptized as a symbolic, okay, they're dead to their old way of life, and they're raised to a new life. Back then, they had baptism. And in one way, it was symbolic. In another way, it was kind of a declaration. A lot of Jewish people, not just Gentiles at this point, but a lot of Jewish people were coming to Christ, and they were coming to John the Baptist, and they were preaching this word of repentance. Or repentance, a lot of times we, we talk about going one way, and then you stop, and you turn around, and you go the other way. That is repentance, to turn around. But even more so, the direct word means a change of mind. I used to think this, but now I think this. And true repentance isn't just changing a few activities of your life. It truly is a change of mind and a change of heart. You begin to think differently, and those things that maybe before you saw as a chore, now you start to adore. Those things before that you thought, you know, that doesn't really excite me, now you have a passion for them was John the Baptist would preach repentance and coming to Christ, giving up of yourself and coming and following Christ. As Christ began to expand his ministry, people were getting baptized. John the Baptist group, Jesus and his disciples group. Well, you can almost see this one coming. There's a day 
when all of a sudden the disciples of John the Baptist hear about the baptizing of the disciples or the disciples baptizing over here and as human do, we kind of get competitive. And, and look what happens. Look at John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. As people would come and they would follow Christ, he would baptize them. Now, all that seems you know, kind of regular. We would expect Christ to do that. But look what happens down in verse 23. John, that is John the Baptist, was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Two ministries kind of promoting the same thing and they're both baptizing. Now at this point, again, baptism is an act of obedience to the message of Christ. There's this repentance that happens. And John the Baptist, he always got this right. He knew his purpose and his call from the very, very beginning. In fact, if, if you're on John chapter 3, you may have to turn back a page, but go to John chapter 1 real quick. I want you to see that in John's mind, he was very, very clear about what God called him to do. I know a lot of us struggle from time to time. You know, I love Jesus. I, I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to go to heaven one day, but I don't know what God has called me to do. John didn't have that problem. He, he was very fortunate, very blessed, that from a child, he knew that God's hand was upon him and God's calling was upon him. John chapter 1, look what John says about this call upon his life, starting with verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Now, who's the light in that? Jesus, okay? If you read the first part of John chapter 1, it says that he's the light, okay? And so his job here, his role, his calling is to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, that is, John was not the light, but came to do what? See the same words, to bear witness of the light. So John, from the very beginning, even John's gospel, again, a different John, but John who's writing this gospel, says, okay, John's, John the Baptist is very clear about what he is supposed to do. Preach the gospel, preach Christ, and bear witness to this light. So when he hears of Jesus and his disciples baptizing a whole bunch of people over here, John's going, all right, I'm actually getting, you know, my job is actually being completed and, and is more and more being fulfilled. His disciples, not so much. His disciples didn't quite get that. And so there's a discussion that starts to ensue about uh, this purification. We really don't know, you know, what they were talking about, this purification, except for baptism. Uh, in a way, baptism could be looked at as a purification. Uh, the chief priest, the Jewish leaders, the non-believers, they came and they were wondering, okay, what's different about your baptism than our purification? Because if you were a Jewish person, you had a lot of rules about cleanliness and washing. And so they were going, okay, we have rules of purification. You have this baptism. Is that kind of like purification? And which one is better? So you got these outside people that are not really believers, and they're not really ready to be converts at that point, and they're questioning this purification. John's disciples hear that. They're kind of questioning this. And then in that conversation, in that conversation, they start to talk about how Jesus and his disciples are baptizing also. Look at verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 25. 
Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. You know, isn't that like somebody comes up and says, okay, we're just wondering, you know, you say that you've got the right baptism and people, you've baptized a lot of people. And, and, but this Jesus guy, he's also baptizing. Verse 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. In other words, I'm just doing what God has called me to do. You yourselves bear witness that I've always said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent of him. John's disciples go, wait, 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 wait. To use a term out of our culture today, that's not fair. We were here first. We're here first. This is our territory. Even though he's kind of across the river a little bit, he's baptizing over there. And basically, we had put our stake, we put our claim here. And now he's baptizing people, and they see this kind of as a little bit of a competitive thing. John, please get this, John doesn't see it that way. John sees it as a fulfillment of his call. Uh, Lesson number one, guys. In the things of Christ, for your life and for my life, There's going to be times that we're going to see Christ competing for the things of our lives. And we're going to see uh, another attitude is, okay, God, this is just the fulfillment of your call on my life. When God may want more time, more thought, more this, more whatever, that's just the fulfillment of God's call upon your life. But in the flesh, just in our own humanness, we can see it as competition. No, okay, God, I'm going to give you a Sunday morning. And I'll even go a little bit early. I'll do that life group thing. And I will be there, and I'll give you three hours on Sunday morning. But, you know, pretty much, if I'm there from 9 to about 12, that's gracious plenty. See, when God wants to invade our lives, when God wants to come and and be a part of life, it's either going to be a competition to things that are already in your life, or you're going to see it as a fulfillment of the call that you were always called to. And I promise you this, if you're a Christian... If you put your trust and your faith in the saving grace of God, he has a call upon your life. I promise you that. It doesn't mean that we always get that call. It doesn't mean that it's as defined as John's. John knew from the very beginning, man, my purpose? (laughs) To show the light, to bear witness of the light. In fact, when Jesus came, do you remember the story when Jesus came to be baptized of John? And John said, wait, 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 time out. I need to be baptized of you. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. Now, what did he mean by untying sandals? That's when you went into a person's house, they had a servant sometimes. If it was a well-to-do house and they had a servant, and one of the roles that the servant would do was untie your shoes and then wash your feet, get you ready for supper or visiting or whatever. And John's saying, look, I'm not even worthy to be a servant of Jesus, much less baptize you. And yet when Jesus comes across the desert that day and comes into scene, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who saves the world. Folks, John has this not as a competition. He sees it as a fulfillment. And I promise you, there are days of my Christian life, I'm just being honest with you, I see the call of God as a competitive, uh, in a competitive way to things that I want. Have you ever felt that way? 
well, God, this is what I really want to do. I really want to be angry at that person because that person has been really mean to me. And I know you say to forgive as you have forgiven, but I'm just not in the real forgiving mood right now because they did me wrong and they haven't even hinted at being sorry. Folks, that's competition. Competition between your own spirit, your own will, your own desire, and the desire of Christ. But there is an alternative. We we can stay in battle. We can arm wrestle with that. Or we can see, as John saw here, I mean, this is the fulfillment of the call. And you forgive, not because you feel like it, but because God forgave you. And you do that, and you become more like Christ. Not because you had this great feeling, I, hey, man, I just want to do all the wonderful things. No, you're just doing an obedience to him. The Christian life is going to come down to a competition for your way or, or simply obedience because you, you see and desire to live out God's call upon your life. And, and you'll go back and forth. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you might be having some good days. Man, just, I mean, it's just on fire. That, that song that we sang, Ricky, you know, set that fire in our soul. Man, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then all of a sudden, Thursday, you know, somebody just pokes the bear. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, wow, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done this. And all of a sudden, this very fleshly part, this very human part of us, this very real part of us, guys, that still exists, comes up and we say, I just don't want that. And it's not so much that Fred or Brenda or this person does it. No, the very Spirit of God says, okay, here's what I want you to do here. And you forgive. You go do this, you go do that. And there's when the arm wrestling starts. Does that relate to anybody? Can you relate to that's how life, Christian life goes? It doesn't mean that we're less saved. It just means that it can either be a competition or it can be the fulfillment of God's call upon our life. John sees this as a fulfillment. His disciples are not quite there. And then John gives this beautiful picture of his purpose and call. Look at verse 29. I would pray that we would never read verse 30 without understanding the beauty of verse 29. Because as Jesus often does in parable story form, he uses analogies, he's used illustrations, he used word pictures to give a bigger picture of a spiritual truth. And look at the picture that he uses here. Verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, this is John the Baptist, okay? The the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Let me unwrap that a little bit. Three characters in this little story. Bride, groom, best friend of the bridegroom, what we would call best man. Okay? John says, I know my role here. I'm the best man. And my purpose is to make sure this wedding goes off. And as smoothly as possible. And I carry the ring. And I make sure all the tuxes are returned to the tux place afterwards. Here's my duties. Here's my call. Here's what I do to fulfill this call. And he says, when I do that, how many have ever been a best man before? Yeah. It's one of those things, it's a joy. It really is. But you don't want to mess it up. 
You know, you really don't want to mess up being the best man. Get in the middle of that service. And, and the pastor says, in the ring, please. And you're going, man, I knew there was something really important that I forgot. Or the groom asked you a week later, hey, did you get all those tuxes back to the rental place? Man, I knew there was something I forgot. You just want to do your job. And when you do that job, joy comes for two reasons, guys, two reasons. One is, the other one is, you just wanted to bring joy to your friends. That's the illustration that John uses here. When his disciples start to squabble a little bit, like, well, 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 which one's the best competition, the the best baptism, and they get that little competitive nature, it is John that says, look, here's my role. I know my role. This one, this Christ, this Jesus, he's the groom. And he's come for his church, for his people. That's the bride. And he says, I have the great honor, the great, great honor of being the, uh, the best man. And so when he fulfills that duty, when he sees that Christ is baptizing and Christ's ministry is expanding, what does he say there at the end of verse 29? Go ahead and say it out loud. This joy, this joy of what? That he completed this call upon his life, that he's living in the midst of this call of his life. Folks, our spiritual life is a roller coaster. Our obedience, roller coaster. Our thirst and passion for God, roller coaster. But one thing I can tell you, that when we understand God's call upon our life in those moments that we are living in the midst of God's call and fulfilling that call, there's joy. There's a joy unlike anything else that you can find in this world. And John says, man, as I hear about Jesus baptizing and his ministry expanding, I know that I have fulfilled my call. And my joy is now complete. Is your joy complete this morning? You see, that's the, the, the time when John enters this famous phrase of verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. This isn't John all of a sudden having this wisdom moment going, hmm, I just thought of this. And probably 2,000 years from now, they're still going to be quoting my words here. He's saying this not out of his own invention. He's saying this out of the completion of what God has put in his heart. This isn't him going back, you know, never figured this out this before, but you know, basically he must decrease. I mean, he must increase and I must decrease. No, this is a response to understanding the call. The, the more we begin to understand God's call upon our lives as a Christian, as a Christian mom, a Christian dad, a Christian student, a husband or a wife, as we understand that more and more, there's going to be number one joy, but there's also going to be this desire to say, he must increase and I must decrease. More and more and more, we're going to be aware of kind of our warts, if you want to say it that way. Not in a guilt way, but in a way that, okay, God, I, I, just, I do want to be able to forgive, even though they haven't even asked for forgiveness. I, I do not want to, to arm wrestle with you on these different territories of my life. I don't want to just give you three hours on a Sunday morning. I want to give you my life. And this won't be so much something that something has to be pulled out of this. It will be really the profession and the confession of our heart. 
Here's my confession this morning. I'm not there yet. I am at days. And there's plenty of days that I get this verse. And there's plenty of days that I don't. I love my wife with all my heart. Love her more than words can tell. And there's days that I get this and I want to love her as Christ loved the church. And there's other days that I am selfish, the most selfish man you have ever met on the face of the planet of the earth. And, and that makes me angry sometimes. Angry at myself. It makes me feel bad and all these different things. But this is the struggle, guys, because as much as God would fill us with his spirit and we are safe and secure in our salvation because it's the finished work of Christ, we still have these old earthly bodies and we still have kind of these things that we still have to contend with. Uh, what we often refer to as the old man. Do you relate to that? So what do we do? How do we use these seven words and not make it a spiritual bumper sticker and not just kind of some trite phrase, you know, well, he must increase, but I must decrease. And we don't just use it as a tagline. How do we live this out in 2018? Well, number, let me give you three things that we will expand on in the weeks to come. Number one, folks, this is an attitude. These aren't just words. This is an attitude. Attitudes form from a combination of thoughts in the mind and passions of the heart. Would you agree that an attitude, good or bad, comes from thoughts in the mind and passions of the heart? Football game tomorrow night, anybody excited about that? Yeah. Yeah, even the Alabama fans, you know. You know, you develop an attitude. You know, it's one of those things. It becomes something that's both a passion but also a cognitive thought. Those things together form an attitude. Anybody into positive thinking? You just think, hey, you know, you can think negative or you can think positive. I prefer to think positive. Anybody kind of follow that? Well, that's an attitude. It's a choice that you're making. And it's thoughts that go on in the head and it's passions of the heart. He must increase, I must decrease, is an attitude, folks. It's a thought process, but it's also a passion. It has lifeblood going through it. It's not just empty words. It's just not form and fashion. But not only is it an attitude, but it's a discipline. That's probably the hard part. It's a discipline in that... Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines decrease in this manner. To grow progressively less, as in size, amount, number, or intensity. Let me repeat that. Not that Webster's is divine, you know, uh, secret reading here, but, but listen to how they define the word decrease. To grow progressively less, as in size, amount, number, or intensity. New year, new diet. Is dieting a discipline? If you want to grow progressively less and less and less, <laughs> you don't go, okay, I must decrease. You don't just say words. There's actually choices that you make. It's a discipline. I'm coming home from the elders' uh, training yesterday morning 
And it's cold. I mean, it's nine something in the morning. And I'm still cold. And there's this freak of nature out running <laughs> in our neighborhood. And I put down my window and I said, Jeff, what are you doing? He said, it's cold. I said, yes. <laughs> and he's getting in. He said, he goes our route if he wants to get in five miles, right? And I think it's foolish. <laughs> but you can tell the difference between Jeff and myself, too. Right? One has exercised discipline. One has said, I must decrease. <laughs> and left it at that. That's the spiritual truth, guys. It's an attitude. It's a discipline. And last, please hear this. It's a call. If you are a Christian, if you're a professing Christian today, if, you, if you've trusted the work of Christ, Christ alone, not your own measure, but what Christ has done for you, and you have trusted that for your salvation to be made right with the Holy God, you're a Christian, brother or sister, then this is a call upon your life. It's not a call of some. It's a call of all Christians. This is our lifelong journey, guys. This is the race. He, he must increase and I must decrease. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the really spiritual ones. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, a child of the living God, this is God's call upon your life. He must increase. I must decrease. The word must there, we'll get that into that in the coming weeks, is a, is a really defined word. It's a really powerful word. And that word must is associated with God's divine will. In other words, this is God's call. It's not just something that I wish will happen. This is God's call upon my, my life. So let me leave us this morning with this thought. What would the decreasing of your name, what would decrease of you look like in 2018? And I pray that that would not spur Thoughts of guilt, because guilt is really not a good motivator, guys. It really isn't. I don't, I don't think it's of God. I think it is of the devil. Guilt and conviction are two different things. It doesn't mean that God doesn't sometimes, remember what we say, taps the shoulder. If we don't turn around, he knocks the shoulder. And if we still don't turn around, what does he do? In love, in love, because he desires obedience because he knows what's best for us, he will grab us by the shoulders and he will turn us around. And some of us have lived that out. We have felt the tap of God, ignored it and went on. We have felt kind of the thud of God and went on. And we have felt the love of God where he grabs the shoulders and he turns us around. And he says, this is what you would do. Or these are the circumstances that you'll find. And, and folks, we can see that as just a mean God invading our space and our life, or we can see that as the most tender, compassionate thing that a holy God could ever do, that he would care about you and I so much that he would care not just to tap, not just to thud and say, well, he didn't listen, let him go on, but that he would grab us by our shoulders and turn us around to show us what life and truth is all about. That's love, guys. And so I hope that when you look at this, you're not saying, okay, decrease is this, this, and this. I hope that you can see that in the same way that John saw that. Hey, this is an invitation to joy. As I give up my selfishness, I'm actually inviting 
Christ's joy into my life. Isn't that what John said? I mean, when his disciples were sitting there going, well, we, we counted, and thank goodness we're still ahead. We had 418 baptisms last year. We did check with the disciples of Christ. They're only on 272. So at least for right now, we're still kind of good, but they are ever increasing in their number. John says, time out, guys. Time out. I told you from the very beginning, I'll tell you today, I have a call upon my life. I have a role in my life, and that is to shed this light or to to bear witness to this light. And he could say, he must increase, but I must increase. And he could say that so that his joy could be complete. Joy is different from happiness. There are some things in following Christ that won't necessarily make you happy, but they'll bring you joy that's deep down. And guys, here's the tough thing about life on planet Earth, even as a Christian. Some days, all you're going to have is that inner joy. There's not going to be an outer joy. Life is tough. This world is broken. It's not always just because of our own brokenness and our own sin. We live in the life, and sometimes we're affected by just a broken world. And so so there's going to be days that we're going to go out there, and we're going to feel a lot of the effects of that brokenness, and yet the only thing that's really going to be stirring inside is this little bit of joy, this little bit of joy of knowing that God has prepared for us, He uh, a Savior that he has called for us, and just that simple joy that, okay, God, you have a call upon my life. Pray together this morning, and then uh, uh, we're going to sing a song, um, kind of just as a prayer. And uh, you'll hear more about this in the weeks to come. But, uh, but I hope that that little explanation of John chapter 3, kind of the setting of it, really gives you a little bit more understanding of the power of those seven words, of where John was, and where maybe even we would hope to be this day, that our joy could be complete, because we just know that we're following God's call in our life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that in the midst of hardships and a broken world, when many days, Father, it seems like there's more on the lost side than on the win side, that, Father, because of Christ, we can still have joy. And, Father, I pray that we would more and more understand that. For, Father, there's been so many times that I have wrestled with you not to give up areas of my life of seeking my own satisfaction. And yet, Father, I thank you that you've placed a call upon my life. I call to, to, to pasture. I call to love my wife well. A call to, to raise two girls that they would follow hard and strong after you. So, Father, I thank you that in all my selfishness and all my sin and all my confusion of all my frustration, stubbornness, that you never let up on the call that you had for my life. For that call is what brings me joy. And, Father, I thank you that you have not done that to a select group, but, Father, that you've done that to everyone who is found in Christ. So may this be a year that we just put our focus and our mind on that, Father, that more and more and more that we would understand the beauty of this call and find our joy in the the completion of that call. Father, if you're calling us to give up an attitude, a mindset, 
Father, I pray that uh, it would not come in a form of guilt, but, but in a form, Father, of just uh, your, your still small voice giving us a leadership there of just how we can become more like you and reflect you and bear witness to the light as John did. We love you. We thank you. We give you this day as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.